Welcome once again to Cinemaholics, where we talk about the biggest and best films coming to theaters and streaming online. From the San Francisco Bay Area, I'm John Negroni, film section editor for theyoungfolks.com, and I write for other websites too, and you know me through Cinemaholics. From Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, he is a freelance writer. You've seen his work everywhere from Slam Magazine, Cinema Blend, The Playlist, to anywhere else you can imagine. It's Will Ashen. Hello. Anywhere you can imagine. Yeah, I think so. Your bylines are that expansive. I don't think they're that expansive, but I appreciate Times, the compliment. Washington Post. Sure. I still yeah. don't want I don't want people to get the wrong idea. I haven't I haven't traveled too many waters, I guess. Uh, I just want to make that perfectly clear. I'm John from the future. In the future, you have written for all those publications and more. Wow. So that's that's, yeah. uh, that's a big Happy deal. Yeah. You, you can find more episodes uh, of our show. Yeah. Uh, oh no, go ahead. Go ahead. Get your I was gonna in. say. Oh no, I was gonna say I'm a real uh, Jr. How do you pronounce his last oh, name? Yeah. Uh, Meringen, Meringen, That's that's a reference to the Tender Bar, which we're talking about later in the show this week. You can find episodes of our show, more episodes, including our full archive, Cinemaholics.com. You also get written reviews, video reviews, and bonus content as such. Definitely email us if you have something to say. Just say it to our faces, you know, virtually. Cinemaholicspodcast at gmail.com. And if you'd like to support the show, a bunch of easy ways to do that. Give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts if you want to save on some cash. Uh, but if you want to donate and be a patron, don't forget there's a Patreon we have. It's patreon.com slash cinemaholics. And we have merch if you want to buy some Cinemaholics merch and support us that way. All that stuff's on our website. All that said, uh, yeah, like I, like I was saying, we're going to talk about the tender bar. But first, we're going to talk about a new Scream movie. Can't believe it. It's finally here, coming out in January. And that's, uh, you know, a little bit uh, worrying, at least to some people, I imagine, of like, hmm, this isn't coming out in October. It's not coming out in like the summer, but I'm hearing that the movie is doing well box office wise. So let's just get into it. Let's talk about Scream. Hello? It's happening. Three attacks so far. Do you have a gun? I'm Sydney Prescott. Of course I have a gun. Something about this one just feels different. Samantha? I'm, I know who you are. I've been through this a lot. This is your life now, which means that whoever this is is going to keep coming for you. You ready for this? Never. There are certain rules to surviving. The attacks were all on people related to the original killers. Whatever his link is to our past, it's pulled us all back here. And I won't sleep until he's in the ground. I guess the first thing we got to get out of the way, Will, mm-hmm. is where, where we're at with Scream. You know, okay. when, when you were going yes. in, when you were walking into the theater, yeah, like what was what was already your like built-in impression of the franchise? Because this franchise has been around since we were kids. And I know, you know, we at the, each of us, we've seen all the movies at this point. I'll talk about my little experience, but what about you? Sure. Well, I think you mean Five Cream, uh, the official title. Oh, uh, sure, yeah. Or yeah, Scrafine. Five. Cream. Scr- Scr- yeah. Scr- well, uh, yeah, <laughs> um, yeah uh, as far as my relationship to the Scream franchise, uh, I remember watching 
all the original movies leading up to the fourth film back when I was in high school in 2011 before the fourth film came out. Um, and uh, I, I think at the time, I thought my relationship to the films was pretty common to the general populist opinion on the films, which is that first film, great. Like, uh, just a real magical balancing act of a film, that is, in terms of balancing the meta-commentary with the horror conventions uh, and, you know, just making a really solid horror slasher film, but also one-upping itself and finding, uh, you know, inventive ways to kind of challenge the genre and basically reinvent it for a new generation, a new millennium. Uh, and, and obviously a lot of important ways. I, I don't think we would have like Cabin in the Woods or Happy Death Day if it wasn't for Scream, among several other films that we have in the 21st century. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, obviously love the first Scream. I like the second Scream. I don't think it's quite as good. Uh, it's a little bit jokier than the original film, but I still think it holds up pretty well. Uh, the third film, at the time, I was like, this is a real step down for the franchise. This is just like, it's missing that Kevin Williamson touch. He wasn't involved to write it. So I was like, you know, it just wasn't the same. And the fourth movie at the time, I was like, yeah, you know, that's, it's okay, I guess. It, it wasn't really my thing. I know it has a lot of uh, uh, strong fans who are, you know, always willing to jump up and defend it. And even at the time, I was like, I don't quite get that, but whatever. Um, I rewatched the original four films leading up to this new one, and my opinion on the first two is more or less the same. Uh, I'm a little more favorable in the third film. I still don't really like it, but I can at least appreciate what it's going for, especially all the ways it sort of like stabs the eye of the Weinstein company. I think it's a lot more apparent now rewatching it after the Weinstein allegations, especially. But um, yeah, I, I think it doesn't quite work, but I can appreciate what it's doing at least. That fourth film, I don't know. I still don't get it. Like, I really. Like I try, I rewatched it with an open mind. I think there's some stuff in it that is fun, like the opening of the film. And I think the the hospital scene's kind of goofy and silly, but I don't. I just don't get the fourth one. Just in the third one still, but uh, the fourth film in, t- in particular, I just I don't get the the love for that one. But you know, whatever. What about you, John? You know, well, I want to say real fast. One interesting thing about the fourth one is that it kind of was already what this movie is, which it, it's already kind of a requel. You know, like right. It's making cause, fun cause I, of. It's making remake. fun of. Yeah, because yeah. it has. It does a lot of the things that the fifth movie is sort of like. This is what requels do now. It's just kind of fascinating that it did it before Jurassic World, before Force Awakens, and Mad Max Fury Road, and like, or I guess Mad Max Fury Road. That's not a good example, but I mean, it's it's an example. But like, that, that's like when it really took off. Like, 2015 well, was like the year that like the requel, the le- the legacy sure. sequel, the reboot cool, whatever you want to call it, took just like yeah. blasted off. Well, I mean, that's the funny thing about the horror franchise, right? Is that like the original film is so reverent to the original Halloween, uh, John yeah. Carpenter's Halloween. And then you watch Halloween, that movie, there's like so much reverence to the thing from another world. And like, you know, like, like every horror movie, I feel like there is like that sort of like layer within layer within layer where they're, they're kind of calling back to the 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 forebears of the franchise or the forebears of the genre in general and in ways that you know obviously paying homage but just it's a very i think inherently self-referential franchise and obviously wes craven even before he did the screen movies he did um new nightmare which is like kind of self-referential in its own way and, and i think the the sequels to scream kind of lean into that more as well so yeah i don't know i think it's it's a piece with what the horror franchise is but i get what you mean yeah i, I think the horror genre like kind of alluding to what you're saying i think 
horror tends to be like a harbinger for progress and innovation within films in general for two big reasons. I think one of the reasons is because a lot of filmmakers, young filmmakers who sort of like want to make their stamp and they want to do something different with films in general that haven't been done before. A lot of them start with the horror genre because that's the second thing. Horror movies tend to be cheaper to make, but they make lots of money. And so you have way, way more room to like risk and try different things. So horror tends to be where you get like these riskier, audacious things like Happy Death Day is a very risky kind of movie. Uh, Scream was a very risky kind of movie. Scary movie. Like these sort of like they paved the way for parodies. And I also think Scream 4 is a movie that paved the way for requels, you know, the modern requel, the kind of idea where you can sort of bring a bunch of the old characters back, but start a new generation and Mm -hmm. you can continue a franchise or milk a franchise, but do it without coming off as like a sequel that's going to be just sort of like, ah, like this is getting tired and, or like a cash grab or by doing a remake, which is like, who wants a remake? We already, we, Mm -hmm. you know, I think scream four was already sort of like, parroting that to an extent and it's kind of a funny movie i think all these movies are fascinating time capsules for absolutely recent film history it's really cool to see like right you know i so i you know going back to the original thing i watched the first scream when i was in high school but when i was in high school it was it was before scream 4 was coming out like there was Mm -hmm. no scream 4 it was it was still a few years away so like i was i watched the first one when there were no sequels coming out at the time it had been like I think six years since scream three and I loved it. I was like, Oh my gosh, this is, this is so good. It was completely different from what I thought scream was. Cause I remember when scream was coming out, my mom is a big horror fan. So uh, much to my dad's disappointment. Cause he hates horror films, but my mom would like watch horror films. Like she would take me to see horror films when I was younger, but not that young, not in 1996. And so, and then I, you know, I, I wouldn't have watched scream two or scream three. Cause I was still kind of young. And like, those are just movies. I, I hadn't seen the original. So I, I just had no real, awareness of them so like i just feel like in my sort of like youthful timeline like i was just it it just never was like it was a timing thing you know like if scream 4 had come out when i was in high school i absolutely probably would have watched it but it came out years after i had seen scream 1 I was in college. I remember like I was working at a movie theater. I remember when Scream 4 came out and it wasn't like super successful at our theater. I think in general, it wasn't a very successful film box office wise. But I do remember, you know, hearing that the Scream sequels were not that great. Like people were just kind of like, hey, you know, they're they're okay. They're they're whatever. And I was like, well, I don't why would I why would I watch all those movies and then watch Scream 4? Because back then I would have had to like go to Blockbuster, you know what I mean? Like this was 2011. Like it was a little bit harder, trickier at the time. Like I was I didn't have enough money. Like I couldn't just rent these movies like on iTunes or anything like that. It's just it was different. Can you go to your local library like I did and just rent no, them all? Because when the movie was coming out, I was not in like my hometown either, actually, okay. now that I think about it. Actually, no, that's not true. I was in my hometown. It was like right before I, it was like a week or two uh, when I was going to be going out and it was hitting like the first run. The theater I worked at was a second run theater. So by the time it hit that theater, yeah, it's just, you know, I, I just didn't have like, I was like a busy college kid. I'm not going to go to the library. I'm not going to do any of that sure. stuff. So. That's fair. I skipped the movies. Uh, I watched them all for the first time last week or two Mm -hmm. weeks ago, I should say. Sure. I think two weeks ago. Time is a construct. Yeah. um, No, because so I saw Scream 5 uh, or Scream 2022. I saw it uh, a couple of weeks ago, right before the social embargo went up. So I wasn't I watched the film without any sort of buzz going into it. Just my impression of the franchise. And my impressions are pretty similar to yours. Uh, like I said, really love the first one. I really like the second one. I think the second one's 
my favorite opening other than the first out of all of sure. these because yeah. it, I don't know. It just, it was doing something, you know what I mean? Like it was, it, it, was, it was kind of like advancing things a bit. Right. And it was also referential to like how blindingly mm-hmm. white the original film was in a way that like, I don't think it really fixed the problem per se, but at least acknowledges it in a fun meta way. And I think, yeah, I like that opening. I think it's also really well directed that opening scene as well. So yeah, very uh, suspenseful. I, think, I think the second movie, I, I think the first one is, better overall but i think the direction might even be better in the second one because wes craven has a bigger budget he seems to be having more fun it's more confident more Um, playful too i think yeah yeah yeah. i I have like a big uh thing that i want to get into regarding all of them but first i'll say i agree with you about the third one uh, but i'll be more specific about my issues with the third one in a minute fourth one i think i like better than you though i think that i i definitely like it better than the third one and I think I like the fifth one better than the fourth, but I, I do appreciate the fourth one. Sure. I didn't hate it. I, I kind of found it, you know, interesting and, uh, and certainly fair, a step up. To be fair, initially my ranking was um, like one, two, four, three. Uh, now it's probably one, two, three, four. So, I mean, that was my initial perception was that four was certainly better than three. Just rewatching the films now and just I'm like, I don't know, four just doesn't really do it for me. I'm sorry. Yeah, what are you going to do? So uh, here, here's my thing, and this can lead right into Scream 5 and how we're going to set this whole thing up. In this movie, there's a point where somebody, I think it's uh, the Mindy character, refers to the Scream franchise as these are meta slasher whodunits. Like these are the three core ingredients. It's not really a Scream film if you don't have all three, right? And I appreciate that. I think that that is a formula that has served this franchise well. I think it's something that like is baked into it. It's kind of I couldn't imagine, for example, a Scream movie without one of those things. It just it wouldn't work. You know, if you don't, the thing that you could maybe get rid of is the Who Done It. But I think that that would kind of rob it of again. It's it's like then it just really stops being what Scream is sort of built out to be, right? I think that the reason the first one is the best, in my opinion, is because it's really good at all three of those things. It's a good meta film, it's a really good slasher film, and it's a really good whodunit. I think the first one has like probably the best twist regarding not just who the killer or killers and, are, yeah, but and the motivation. The most twist probably as well of, of, of the yes. four. Yeah, yeah. I think that's the case. I think all the sequels after that are at least good at one or two, but not all three things. I think the second one is also really good meta, arguably better meta than the first one because it's such a good meta commentary on sequels. I think the slasher element also really great. The only thing about the second one that I think is a little bit weaker is the whodunit because I think the, the motivation is okay, but I think the twist of like who's really behind it is not as compelling to me as the first one. The third one I think is bad at all three. I don't think it's a good meta. I think it really falls short of like doing something interesting about trilogies. I think the slasher component is extremely weak and I just did not find that suspense really there and then the whodunit is terrible like it's so easy to predict exactly who did it and why like it's it's the third one is just really bad the fourth one i think the fourth one is good meta but not as good meta as the first or second good slasher but not as good as the it's like a little bit of a step down but it's like average Mm -hmm. Um, and i think the whodunit i go back and forth because I didn't particularly find it surprising, like the whodunit for that, but I could imagine it being a little bit like for some people. I don't know. Um, uh, so, yeah. so that's why it's not my, close to my favorite either. Right. Yeah. I mean, I get that. I think that's all valid. Um, the only thing I'd probably push back on is that I think the mystery in two is fine. I just think it just doesn't quite balance the comedy and the the horror slasher elements as successfully as the original film. But I I don't know. I just think the second movie. I don't know. I I feel like everyone kind of wants 
or expects different things from these sequels. That's what I'm learning because I'm seeing all sort of different rankings for these sequels in the past few days. And I'm learning that I think people just want different things out of Scream sequels. And for me, I think the second one is probably the the most successful at getting what I expect out of a Scream sequel. And uh, yeah, I just, I, I, I agree with you. I think the third one has some interesting ideas. It just doesn't really work. And I think the fourth one is kind of running on fumes, but it does some things well, like the slasher elements. Yeah, there is this whole thing in the third one. It's like, we got to go back to the beginning. And it just, I don't know, it, it's like really pulling a lot of that, you know, her mom is really, it was her, it was, this is the real crux of the story all along. And it's just not sure. nearly as interesting to me. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. I also don't think the commentary in that film is quite as clear in that because like yeah. it's it's attacking, like you said, like horror remakes, which it's not really a horror remake. It's still technically a sequel. If anything, like you right. said, it's more of a reboot. Uh, and it's also trying to kind of attack like vlog culture, sort of, but like it doesn't really have anything to say about that because vlogs aren't really a thing that much in 2011 it's fairly a new idea so it just didn't really feel like kevin even though i was glad to see kevin williamson back it didn't feel like he had anything particularly meaningful to say about the franchise it felt like he had to do another sequel for whatever reason and yeah i actually think the film is a little bit more prescient than you might be giving it credit for i think that like what it's saying about because i think what that film is trying to say and i know we're so many tangents but i think it's trying to say like Emma Roberts' character sees herself as the remake, you know, as the new character, but she can't break away. It's sort of saying that, like, well, the original is always going to be better. So why Mm -hmm. would you remake it? So even though the film isn't a literal remake, I still think that it is poking a lot at the idea of, like, how remakes are sort of trying to kill off the original and pretend like they didn't happen. So that's the element of the film that I actually like. You know, I I actually think it would be successful with that. Yeah, I just feel it's fairly cynical, though. Like, if at least, like, the other horror movie at least like the first three feel like there's clear love for slashers or at least like what they are and that one just feels like there's like kind of like this sort of uh disdain for like the younger generation in a way that just i don't know it just kind of feels like old man yells like cloud sort of it's very peak like i know i know the people who made it are not gen x but i do think it's like peak gen x you know criticism everything sucks everything is terrible you know it does have a bit of that mood sure yeah and i think that like the gender or generational kind of divide is a little bit better handled than this film personally but that yeah that's a great that's me, a great yeah. segue actually yeah yeah because because i think this movie is gen z scream 4 is millennials you know and so now we're kind of like going to the next generation and like one of the things i like about this movie too and i, I gotta set this thing up i know but i i do like how it checks in with like where horror is at right now and it's fun to sort of see how does gen z interpret our horror and i do think there is a little bit of like gen z really likes elevated horror quote unquote elevated horror but you know like art house horror stuff that we get with like babadook which they reference midsummer hereditary it follows these like the i mean this movie defines that right yes idea (laughs) or like the neon or whatever you want to put for the modern day kind of like they said elevated horror or like what's the term that they use now for like uh like heightened you know Heightened, yeah, heightened drama or something like you know, like trying to not even call it a horror movie or whatever. Yeah. Uh, These days, yeah. like a horror movie, it can't just be a horror movie. It can't just be scary. It right. also has to have like these emotional allegories and metaphors behind them. It's like this one's yeah. about grief. This one's about going through a breakup. This but one's also, really about yeah. yeah. 
it also like the idea that like when we bring back franchises like this, like in Halloween or um, what was the other one that was most recent? I'm, I'm blanking on it, but it's like they it, it can't just be its own thing. It has to kind of like pay its dues to the original trilogy yeah. or the original thing. And But at, like at the same time, like they can't overtake the thing because it's like we have to set up a new thing for a new generation and they're not going to be around forever and all that jazz. And I think. You know, it, it's all expected. I, I don't think there's anything in this movie that's like terribly surprising, but I think that what I try to say balances that act a little bit better, in my opinion, than the fourth film. So, so we should get that. Yeah, let's get, let's get it established that um, so Wes Craven passed away very sadly uh, several years ago, and so we have yeah. new directors here. Uh, mm-hmm. We have a couple screenwriters here who I think this is their first time working on a screen film the directors are matt bettinelli open and tyler gillette we just saw them work uh we, we they did the uh, ready or not which uh fun horror slasher kind of yeah, movie as well kind of different silence right is that their their like official name like their their group name radio their silence? Group name is what is it radio silence is that like the name of their like collective i don't know uh maybe okay. uh radio silence because they did some segments for at least one or two vhs they did movies, vhs right, right? Yeah, and yeah. uh yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, that said, I, I I was most familiar with them through Ready or Not, which I really dug that 2019 film. I can see why after doing that, they would be hired to work on this one. I don't know the the process that went into hiring them, but I imagine it was, you know, hand in hand. Uh, the screenwriters here are James Vanderbilt and Guy Busick. I I kind of, and, and we should say, I think uh, James Vanderbilt, he worked on the Amazing Spider-Man films, um, but I think uh, his most recent one was like a Netflix, that Netflix film Murder Mystery with Adam Sandler. Oh, yeah. But he wrote uh, Zodiac, right? Did he work? Did he write Zodiac? I'm pretty sure he wrote Zodiac. Maybe I'm speaking on my ass. I, I'll double check that one as well. I, think but, I, um, I didn't yeah. know, because he was also a film producer, um, so I might... Sure. He might have been a writer and a producer. For some reason, I had in my head that he only produced it, but I, th- I think you might be right. I guess it's White hard House because down. like that's David Fincher, yeah. and so it's hard for me to be yeah. like Zodiac was written by. But uh, right. yeah, I'll I'll assume you're right. Uh, well, but, while I'm double checking that, I should clarify that I guess Radio Silence is three directors. It's the two guys, but then an, another director. So it's technically not uh, okay. Radio Silence, but the, it, two of them are part of Radio Silence. Got to it. Clarify. Okay. Yeah, but for Zodiac. I'm going to double check that now. Uh, yeah, James Vanderbilt is the screenwriter of Zodiac. Great film, that. great mystery. Yes, uh, yes, very yes. good film. And then, uh, yeah, Guy Busick, who, you know, I, I'm not as familiar with him. I do think that um, he, I think he also, he worked on Ready or Not too, didn't he? Uh, I have that. Probably. I think he was, he acted in it. Um, right. But uh, yeah, uh, I, for, I forget if he like really wrote it. So again, yeah, I'm not super prepared. But, to uh, say. First time, um, more than one screenwriter for a screen movie. Look at that. Yeah. And uh, I think uh, so. I think with this movie, it's doing like we said a lot of the requel things. It's bringing in legacy characters, so David Arquette, Nev Campbell, Courtney Cox appear in this movie. But it has like they they sort of give their blessing on the next generation. And of course, since since this is Scream, they like literally bring that up of like, well, you know, th- this is sort of them approving of or like ushering in, you know, the new cast, the youthful cast. And this movie goes through a lot of those beats, and it's it's just called Scream instead of scream five but uh, i just called scream five to make things easier that said uh you know it's that itself is a commentary right of like when sequels i think it's directly commenting on halloween the 2018 halloween yeah. right but they even 
of course they bring it up as well in yes. the movie to kind of absolve themselves. But I still I find that so annoying. Dude, couldn't they just call it like Scream New Generation? I, I don't know, whatever. Scream whatever. the Next Generation. Whatever. I don't think so because I don't think they would have been able to like. I don't know. It, it wouldn't have been as a much of a joke. It, it just sort of would have been funny in a different way. But uh, I get what you're saying. I get what you're saying. I, you know, the issue there. I, I, I'm glad they didn't do like scree and then put like a five, you know, or do any of that kind of marketing. But uh, yeah, so all that said, this five, movie three. does a lot of the requel things where we have new characters but like almost every character here is somehow connected to the first movie so mm. not the sequels you know i guess i guess there are a couple characters directed to the you know connected to the sequels like i think the the west character but even him like he, um, he's he's the son of like yeah. a character in scream 4 but his name right. is of course you know directly from west craven yeah yes yeah so yeah. that said Mm -hmm. uh dylan minette is of course the actor there really the main characters here we have jen ortega who is like the first character that we see the uh sort of drew barrymore opening scene thing but then we also have her older sister played by melissa barrera who we just saw in in the heights we find out that maybe there's a little bit of a secret connection between her and uh maybe a character from the first film which we won't give away but then also we have uh as i mentioned uh dylan minette but then uh, jack quaid is also in this movie you might recognize him from the boys he's like the new love interest we also have uh, Mason Gooding and Jasmine Savoy Brown, uh, Mikey Madison, and like all of these new characters who have their own connections in some way to like the original cast. It's it's a little bit over the top, honestly, but you know what are you going to do? So so that said, uh, the movie kind of just follows the typical scream formula. There's another ghost face killing, and the characters know that they're in a requel. There have apparently been, if you watch the earlier scream movies, the parallel franchise in these movies has been called Stab. At this point, there's like eight Stab movies movies and this movie kind of gets into how people want an, a new stab film to be as good as the original and to be a legacy film so there's direct commentary on fandoms and how they can be toxic and all that kind of good stuff watching this movie i gotta say will i thought it was not a great movie but a pretty good scream movie i actually think that you know based on the criteria i mentioned earlier i like it almost as much as the second one i think i still prefer the second one more but kind of using that formula i did before i think that this is a really good meta pretty good slasher and good whodunit i think the whodunit i like more for the motivation which we won't give any of that stuff away but i don't love the sort of like how they bring about the mystery of it i don't think it's quite as strong as some of the other scream films particularly the first but yeah i think this is a really solid scream movie and i like it quite a bit more than the fourth and the third but what about you yeah i mean I can't think of anybody I know who would say any of the sequels are better than the original Scream. That's like the one thing I think everyone can agree on, right? Like, is there anyone that thinks any of the Scream sequels are better than the I'm original? I'm sure there are, but I've never seen. Yeah, I'm what not aware. What life of do them. you think they live? Like, what, what's their day-to-day -day like? <laughs> Maybe I they mean, haven't seen it. Maybe they're just know. sort of like, they haven't seen it, but cultural osmosis dictates their impression of it. And they're just like, yeah, the sequels are better. And they're just talking. I don't know. Whatever. Uh, but in any case, yeah, I mean, I think... I'm pretty close to where you are. I I don't think I'm quite as favorable as you are, but I agree that I think maybe because my expectations were fairly low. It's coming out, as you mentioned, in January. It's the fifth screen film, and it's the first without either Wes Craven or Kevin Williamson. In this case, neither of them are involved, so far as I can tell. Uh, obviously not Wes Craven, and I don't think 
Kevin Williamson is. I don't even know if he's got he got credit as a producer. Um, but yeah, I mean, I just didn't I didn't quite know like what need to be said, why this movie need to exist. Did it feel like kind of a dirty cash grab because it's also the first uh, screen movie that's not from Dimension. Obviously, the wine scenes are involved in this film, so it's a Paramount production. So I was kind of yeah, uh, I thought it was it was that. weird because I was so used to seeing the Dimension logo in the beginning, right. and then that didn't happen. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, that was a, an interesting uh, addition as well. But um, yeah, going off what you said, I think there's a lot of stuff in here I really like. There's stuff in here I'm not as crazy about, but I think the good generally outweighs the bad. And I'm pretty appreciative of how it handles the commentary. Like I said before, I don't, I don't think what it's saying is terribly surprising. And I don't think that anything it does is quite as clever as it thinks it is. But at the same time, I think for what it's going for, especially like a late in the game scream reboot, however many decades later, I think it's a pretty fun, enjoyable horror blockbuster. And, uh, you know, it, it's the one that tips my favor because initially I was like, this is a 50, 50 franchise. It's like, in my opinion, too good, too bad. And now I'm going to be like three, at least pretty good two not so good. So that uh, for that, I can be thankful for it. Yeah, I think I definitely went into this with pretty low-ish expectations because I just couldn't get over the timing of the release. Like, I could not believe that they were releasing this film in January because if they had a lot of faith in the movie, I don't think that they would be releasing a horror sequel for a beloved franchise that, the you know, I think uh, they've made less and less money over time, right? I believe that's the case. I, I just didn't buy that they would be, if they had a lot of like faith in the movie, that they'd be releasing it now. They would probably be releasing it maybe in a safer time, like, you know, early to mid spring. That would tell me, it's like, oh, maybe they think that it'll do okay. If it had been out in the summer, like my expectations would be different and so on and so on and so on. Sure. All that to say, or October, just do it as a horror film. Oh, yeah, not? yeah. I mean, but yeah, they, yeah, clearly they didn't. They didn't. Right. I think I the mean, pandemic too- has something to do with it. Yeah. Sure. I mean, I think. To the film's credit, I I don't think they like uh, announced this late in the game. Like I think from the onset, they announced this was going to be a January release. So I don't think it was a a sign or lack of confidence in the film. I think they were just like, "Hey, there's a window in January," as we mentioned off the air. Like there's not a lot of stuff coming out in January, so they're probably just like, "Hey, you know, let's put something in there." And, and it sometimes is, like, stuff is successful in January, sure. Well, I mean, Paramount does, I mean, to their credit, they have had a lot of success opening horror movies in like the first or second weekend of January. Uh, like they did like a yeah, Paranormal I can think of a few movie examples. then. Yeah. I think they did. They do Devil Inside or is that another studio? Um, uh, I don't like, know if that was them, uh, but maybe. I forget. There are a bunch of other horror movies that aren't really that great that um, came out. I think Escape Plan came out around that time, but that's Sony, yep, I yeah, think. Yeah, that's or Escape Room. Uh, Sorry, escape room. Um, but yeah, I mean, January, the the first week or two of January has been a pretty, at least financially successful ground for horror movies. So I'm I'm assuming. I think the, so well, so here's the thing. You, I, I do think that that's valid, but like not for sequels, because like a lot of the stuff you're talking about has been stuff that's like it's a good testing ground to sort of build IP without doing a big risk that conflicts with other properties you think will do well. We're talking about Paramount. Paramount is kind of like not lacking a lot of IP to mine, but they're not in as favorable position as Universal and Warner Brothers and obviously Disney, I think. Whereas like they have what? Transformers, which is really, really dwindling for them. And SpongeBob, which 
same kind of thing. I do think that like with the Scream movie, it is interesting that they they like from the get go would be like planning it for January. That that's all I'm saying. It's, it's sort of painted. It was a bit of a red flag for me. And uh, of course, I went into the movie hoping it would be great. And I would yeah, because of my lower expectations mm-hmm. and the fact that I didn't hear any buzz going in, I was right. pretty satisfied with the movie. Yeah, no, I I am exactly where you are. I just I think. I, I'm just giving the studio very mal credit, maybe undeserved credit. Yeah, it's, it sounds uh, like you can sort of see the logic that they were using. Right. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah and it's it's obviously a very uh, a weird thing. And we are talking about like this is the first time they're doing, like you said, with Paramount. Uh, I believe the rights, like because uh, the Weinstein thing closed down in like like four years ago or whatever, and then I think yeah, Spyglass they, picked it up or something like that. I just I, I mean like some of the things uh, like became you know viable or sellable, and then they're just mm-hmm. I guess Paramount just went yoink. We're taking that one. So, yeah. 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 So, so to kind of like just break it down, um, because I think like we want it, we want to avoid talking about this film in too much detail because the fun of these movies is sort of experiencing the mystery and everything. I think we've already given some things away, like that maybe not everybody would want to know, but yeah, just to kind of like tighten all that up. I think that it's, it's a little bit predictable. I think that it's not the best twists. I think that it's it's a little bit easy. Like I think uh, some of the clues they give are a little bit too overt. So I don't think a lot of people will be that surprised. I, I think it's similar to the second one where even though it might not be super hard to figure out who did it, I think the motivation behind it was a little bit more interesting, if that makes sense. I think when it comes down like to what this movie is actually saying, it just felt cohesive to me. Like It just felt like this movie was really well thought out. I like that it's... It's a movie that I get the impression that they spent time sort of being like, how do we make a really good Scream movie for this current day and age? And that's the thing that I like the most about it. Like, it, it just feels like tight. Like, they really just came up with a fan's idea of how do we continue this? How do we do this? I think Kevin Williamson was producing. I don't. He doesn't have an official credit. I think I saw his name in the credits, but it could have been the whole based on characters he created. I can't remember if it was a producer, but I do remember at some point right. he was producing this movie. Um, okay. I just would not be surprised if that stopped because that was years ago. That right. said, I do think that this is a movie that um, kind of similar to the way that like J.J. Abrams and Ryan Johnson sort of picked up the Star Wars movies. It does sort of have that air of like authenticity to it to some extent, even though I know you and I both much preferred The Last Jedi to something like Force Awakens. Um, I think we could both agree, well, you know, that fitting star wars kind of needed that yeah. fresh injection like we i don't sure. think anybody wanted another george lucas star wars film in 2015 right uh yeah i mean well i'm sure some folks did <laughs> like we said if okay, there's yeah, somebody yeah, out some. there if there's somebody out there who doesn't think scream one is the best scream surely there's someone out there probably the same person like yeah <laughs> well uh, let's get them on the show i'd love to hear their opinions i mean they're yeah let's get them on they're probably a wealth of, of uh amazing content but um yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I think I agree in that, like, uh, I, I agree that the twist is, like I said, not as clever, I think, as it thinks it is, or not quite as uh, surprising as I think it is, but or they think it is. But, yeah, I mean, I, I do think the commentary, I, I think it's pretty smart how it executes it. I think the self-aware stuff almost verges on being annoying but i think it's clever enough and consistently smart about what it is enough and what epping itself enough to um never quite have that annoyance that i think comes with some of the later sequels in the scream franchise but at the same time yeah i mean i'm 
I'm kind of back and forth on how I feel about the new cast. I was curious about how you felt with them. Yeah, I, wanted, oh, yeah, I was about yeah, to bring that yeah. up. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, first, first I'll say yeah. the only thing about this movie that annoyed me was I think that they're, the red herrings, the red herrings can be a little bit much. Like it was a sure. bit overwhelming. It was sort of like, okay, okay. Like there has to be more to this movie than the whodunit. It was sort of like mm. balancing, the balancing act wasn't quite good there. Right. Um, so I, I thought that that, not the best yeah. aspect. Uh, for me, it was more that I think it was just kind of missing that pulp that Wes Craven brings to the franchise. I mean, obviously, like, it's not Wes Craven, as we mentioned. And it's not going to be Wes Craven. But I feel like he's a little bit more. He, he kind of brings that mix of, like, kind of, like, camp and cheese in a way that's, like, associated to the brand at this point. And I feel like this huh. franchise. I thought the movie I think, had plenty of that myself, but okay. It has jokes, obviously. And I just feel like the style of it isn't quite as winking. In terms of like, like it plays a pretty straight stylistically and, and also visually in a way that um, I think, like you said, it is self-aware. And I think that's paying homage to how like the style now, like we like, like if you compare like Halloween, the new movies to like some of the other Halloween movies that came before it, it it's obviously kind of like starker. It's a little bit like moodier and how it's presented i think the 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 sequel is reflecting that pretty apparently but uh i don't know i I think it could have used a little bit more paul personally but i guess you disagree that's fine just a little just a little uh so to the new cast thing which you brought up i think that i'll start with the old cast i think that david arquette is probably the best performance in this movie oh yes like yeah i think the best written character more than anything else i don't think it's just the performance i just think he's the most interesting of the legacy characters easily because mm. i just thought that there was a real conflict there was a real arc to what he's doing here that there was emotion swept up in it and, and all that i think that compared to like nev campbell and Courtney cox i think they're just fine like the movie doesn't really dwell yeah. on them it doesn't try to sort of invent big arcs for them it just sort of lets dewey be really the point of view for more of the movie he spends the mm-hmm. most time with the new characters and all of that i actually was pretty fine with that because i think the movie would have been way too much like it wouldn't have been as effective for me if the balance had been more toward the legacy characters that was actually an issue i kind of had with the fourth one where the new sort of characters i really did not care about whenever right. it was them on screen i was like please the, just go back to the characters yeah. i like yeah i would say with the exception of hayden Pantier, um or, Pant- or I like her okay. I yeah I thought she was actually pretty charming in the uh, in the fourth film, but otherwise, I think everyone else is pretty forgettable and unnoteworthy. And sometimes that case, in that film's case, some of those actors are not very good. <laughs> I'm sorry, but um, yeah, like the AV Club characters in that, I was yeah. just like, oh my gosh, oh my, yeah, no, no. But um, with this one, uh, you mentioned her already, Jenny or Jenna Ortega. Jenna Ortega, love her. Um, I think I, she's great. A, she's yeah. so good in every like from this, the Fallout, you mm-hmm. on Netflix. I I, I have just never been one. disappointed by her performances. Yeah, and um, I mean, I, I would dance around this because I, I guess it's technically a mild spoiler, but when the movie came out, or when I saw the ads for it, and I saw that it was uh, ref, um, reflecting back to the original, because like, I think the original marketing, like it's primarily just Drew Barrymore in that film, and then like the big twist is like, oh, like we killed Drew Barrymore, we killed our biggest star in the first act. And obviously, Jenny Ortega isn't the biggest star, but I was kind of like, it would be clever if like instead of, you know, like killing her off, like they kind of kept her around. And I thought that was, you know, something that they did handle pretty well here. Um, so I was I was happy about that. And I think that those are some of the ways that it's uh, smart about how it handles or kind of like one ups expectations. But yeah, I mean, as far as the rest of the cast, um, I thought Jack Quaid was pretty good. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, he's, he's who cool. else is? Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, I liked. Uh, so so I'll, I'll start with the ones I liked. 
Sure. I like Melissa Barrera in this. I think oh, I'm that not crazy about her. I know, I know it's film. a bit of a contention. Some people really dug it. Some people didn't. I didn't love, she, love, love it, but I actually thought that she, uh, she was one of my favorite things about, I think, the new cast, honestly. Okay. I thought she why. was, I thought she was very good in, in the Heights. And I thought in this movie, it looked like she was about to fall asleep in a lot of scenes. <laughs> That's, uh, yeah, I have a totally different impression. Yeah, I, I actually right. think I like her better in this than I did in the Heights. Uh, I, she was probably one, she was one of my least favorite characters in, in the Heights, honestly, uh, looking back on it. I don't know if I've, I didn't really feel that way when I first saw it, but yeah, she's not a character I've really like, I don't know, held up. Well, as I'm much. just talking about the performance. I mean, the character is yeah, yeah. another thing, but yeah, I get what Yeah, performance wise, sure. I think Dylan Minnette, I, I think, is kind of overcasted here. <laughs> like, this character I just thought was very nothing. Uh, they uh, don't really do much with him at all that I thought was interesting. Yeah, I mean, I think that was intentional, but I get what you mean. I was much more taken with the twins. I think I really like the twins. Oh, yeah, in they're this. pretty charming. Yeah. They're not my, yeah, yeah they're charming. They're, they're not like the focus or anything like that, but I do think they. Whenever they were on screen, like whenever it was like one of the younger actors without, you know, somebody like without the twins or without uh, Jenna Ortega, I was not as interested, honestly. I was kind of like, ah, but when the twins come on, they just had like life to them. You know, uh, Mason Gooding and Jasmine Savoy Brown, they're sort of, you know, I I don't want to give away their connection, but I just think they're fun. Like I I Mm -hmm. kind of. You know, I could see an alternate version of this movie where they're the main characters, and I think I would have been totally happy sure. with that. Not the case yeah. with Mikey Madison. I was like, oh my gosh. I I uh, think we saw her in like Once Upon a Time in uh, yeah. Hollywood. Uh, yeah, I I was going to say something, that, but that would be a spoiler. <laughs> so I can't say that. Um, there was also uh, Sonia Ben Amar as uh, oh, yeah. she was another. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> I know so, some of the characters weren't as strong. I, I, so I, I'll just say Jen Ortega, the twins, they were my favorites uh, along agree. with Melissa Barrera. And I like Jack. That way I wouldn't well. agree. Yeah. I mean, I think we mostly agree. Just, just one key uh, disagreement, but I will say, I mean, I will appreciate that this film uh, it's pretty diverse in the cast without really calling attention to that in a film that's always calling attention to itself. Yeah, I thought that was, I thought that was pretty neat. So, yeah. Um, I don't have too much to add without giving stuff away or anything like that. So uh, yeah, I think I got I, mean, I got everything off my chest. I like this movie. Okay. Yeah, it's pretty good. I mean, one thing I will say that I was going to bring up before is that I think the other Scream movies are not so much, even though they are self-referential, they're kind of more commenting on the genre themselves and where it is in the cultural landscape. And I feel like this movie has a tendency of more being like talking directly about self more than like where horror is at the moment. The the, the one exception would be obviously at the beginning of the film with Jenny, Jenna Ortega. But I, I feel like that's something that the other screen movies have did a little bit more successfully than this film. Do you agree or disagree? I um, think I disagree. I, okay. I think that, there's enough in here where it's it's sort of commenting on not I, I guess like not just horror films but right. just like mainstream films at large, which yeah. I I think that it's doing both. I mm-hmm. think it's sort of saying like this is where horror is at. It does the elevated horror thing, sure, but mm-hmm. it spends I think more time kind of eviscerating you know not just fandoms, but the sort of like Hollywood having to constantly do this same kind of like reboot sequel movie that is getting really tired. And I like how this movie, it it's, it's, I like that this movie is so audacious that it's going to do that. It's going to be what it's criticizing, Mm -hmm. but it's in on the joke. It knows that it is. And it's just sort Mm -hmm. of like, yeah, we're going to do that. And we're going to count our money, but we're also going to make fun of ourselves. Who cares? And I don't know that to me is that plucky, like trickster spirit Mm -hmm. that does remind me of like the first couple scream films that it's just like, 
you you got to you got to give it up to them, you know. And I think some people can be looking look at that and be like, "Well, that's a flaw." I'm like, I don't sure. care. It's I enjoyed the flaw, whatever. Sure. Yeah, I mean, certainly, I think the the quote unquote requel commentary parody aspect is probably some of my favorite stuff in this film. And it's something I think, like I said before, is handled better in this movie than in the previous one. Um, but yeah, I mean. I don't think it takes as many risks as I was hoping it would. Not that I was expecting it to take a ton, but I was kind of hoping it would subvert at least a few of my expectations. And for for the most part, as we mentioned, I think it kind of played into what I expected going into this film, which maybe just maybe me overthinking it uh, more than anything. But at the same time, I don't know. I just I guess I I wanted them to take a few more risks, take a little bit more daring. But I get that, you know, there's probably going to be a new trilogy that comes from this uh, new film. Like I'm assuming that's what they're establishing here. Primarily I with not. the uh, I don't want I don't another know. Scream film for a decade. Do them every decade or so. Because sure. that to me, like, give it time and just sort of check in. Let's check in again, you know, in 10 years. You don't have to have the legacy characters anymore. Maybe, I mean, probably will. But, I mean, you know. Yeah, I, I would agree, but I imagine if I'm Paramount, they're going to try it, especially because I think this did pretty well, right? I didn't check yeah. the box office, but... Yeah, so this, this movie made $30 million well. right. uh, so far. We're recording this mm-hmm. on a Sunday, so it's probably going to make sure. even more. Uh, not mm-hmm. much more, but yeah, based on the budget, which is around 20 to $25 million, that's mm-hmm. fantastic news for Paramount. They got themselves a winner on their hands, which yeah. I, I'm sure has them kind of... That's the thing. Uh, in a, in January, that is really impressive, you know, in the middle yes. of like Omicron and all this stuff. If mm-hmm. they had released this in the spring or in the summer, you know what I'm saying? Like, I right. feel like this could have killed for them and they're getting good box of office returns. Well, I think this could have gotten even better. Maybe though. Okay. I, maybe you're about to say it's like the competition would be higher. It could get maybe drown out in the noise. I totally understand all that. Still, right. I think maybe even February, February probably would have been better. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's kind of hard to say, but I, I do think it is to the film's benefit that there isn't a lot of new stuff besides the 355 in yeah. your mo- local multiplex. And I we think probably Younger wouldn't audience be talking is... about it as long as we are, you know, if we right. had to review, review this the same week as like Uncharted or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, yeah. And I think also like the, the audience who's coming to the movies, if anyone's coming to the movies, it's younger audiences. And mm-hmm. even though this is a sequel slash requel, to a franchise that's now like 30 something years old at this point or almost 30 years old uh it's you know it's it's appealing to younger audiences uh, deliberately so obviously that's why they call it scream instead of scream five yeah. um but yeah i mean i think they're the ones that are probably most interested and i would imagine because this is doing well that paramount is probably going to try to do another couple sequels but i agree with you if, if i had a choice i'd rather they just kind of hold off or just leave it at this one i mean i'm fine if this was the very last scream film i mean we don't need to at least for a while i mean i will say i mean did you find it weird that sydney was like primarily in supporting character mode here like this is the first time we've ever seen sydney like not get more than like maybe 40 minutes of screen time in a screen film. no and i, I think that's great i think that that is much to this it's movie interesting yeah, I, I I honestly think that like watching them for the first time in a row, it, it's mm-hmm. like that. It's like it diminishes with every film, doesn't it? Like, I think with every film, it's less and less about her. So to me, it made sense right. for this one to be even less about her than before, because like 
we get it. <laughs> like Sydney Prescott is pretty played out as a character. I'd say the same sure. thing with Gail Weathers. I think that if there, I think this movie's smart because if there was one character who I think did still have some loose ends to really like tie things together, it was Dewey just because yes. like his relationship with Gail Weathers has always sort of been this very precarious thing. So the way that handles him in this movie, I think made way more sense. I think that, it, yeah, it's a change for the better in my opinion. No, I agree. And I, I mean, going off of what you said before, I mean, I think this is basically David Arquette's film. And I mean, given everything that he's been through in life and yeah. his career, I think it's a well-deserved, uh, you know, uh, um, I don't know what the expression would be, uh, uh, um, showcase or whatever, but, yeah. uh, yeah. I mean, oh, and, and yeah. sorry, to, I also was going to say this too, uh, kind of, kind of jumping off what you're saying about the January release. Now that I think about it too, there isn't much to watch in theaters. If you are like, you're saying like, if you're like a teenager, young adult, like, right. What That's else what is there actually? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, That's it. There, nothing. Yeah. <laughs> there, there really, I mean, there's like a, yeah, three, five, five. And you know, we already went through the holiday season. We have art house movies for like the older and older people award season and all that stuff. But yeah, yeah. This, mm-hmm. That's a good observation, I guess. Like there really sure. wasn't anything else. <laughs> no, it is. I mean, we got to also talk about like, it's kind of weird that we have uh no way home matrix resurrections and this film, within weeks of each right. other. It's kind of fascinating. And those movies have been out for like a month now. Well, Spider-Man's been out for a month and right. a week. Matrix has been out. Like those films have but, already sort of, yeah, it's like people who wanted to see them movies, basically already seen them. But like all three of those movies are like kind of calling back to the 90s and 2000s. Yeah, and like true. Commenting yeah. on like, well, like, like openly in a meta sort of way being like, well, what do we do? Well, like, all the we blockbuster films right. are doing that, aren't they? Space Jam, well, I mean, yeah. Legacy. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't. It's yeah. It's these three films. It was this. Uh, yeah, the blockbusters and the wave before that. Yeah, Halloween Kills was right before. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's like every season. It's like we have a few of these kinds of movies now. It's it's prevalent. Yeah, it's just it's a weird thing. It's just we're in a weird time in general, but yeah. especially for movies, especially for IP movies, even but, the Tom um, and Jerry movie. And then Godzilla yeah. versus Kong. It's, it's like, sort you of. know, that again, you know what I mean? Yeah, sure. Uh, yeah. I mean, but other than that, I don't really have much else other than I thought the, the kills were pretty good in this as well. I, I guess they could have yeah. used a little bit more, um, variety. It's kind of like, you know, I, I don't think the, the kills really change much, you know, but that's fine. It's scream, you know, there's a primalness to it with the knife and all that, but, yeah, uh, pretty bloody. Yeah. It gets pretty it gnarly. It doesn't yeah. have any kills like at the level of that one kill in Fear Street, but that's fine. I have no idea what you're referring to, but I know uh, you don't. Yeah. But yeah, anybody who's listening, you've seen Fear Street. I just don't want to give it away. Uh, sure. Yeah, it doesn't have anything that good, but you know. Sure, I'll take your word for it. Let's play the Rotten Tomatoes game for Scream Five, Scream 2022. All right, well, 191 reviews have been counted for this movie. So the day we're recording this. And yeah, one of those reviews is mine. You get a little bit of a hint. You know, I like the movie. Mm. So what do you think the Rotten Tomato score is right now? Uh, I'm imagining it's a tomato. I don't think it's certified fresh. Um, but I imagine most critics are probably positive. I've heard a mixed response from audiences. But I think the critics are probably going to be... Uh, no Scream movie, as far as I know, has gotten past like 80%. So I'm going to guess 74%. Not bad. 75%. You're only one percentage point off. Very well done. And uh, yeah, you you hit the nail on the head. It's not quite certified fresh. And yeah, it has some of its naysayers. But yeah, still, most critics are pretty positive on it. But what about the audience score? We have a thousand plus verified ratings. So what do you think about that? 
Um, I think the folks who are rating it on Rotten Tomatoes are more favorable than not. I'm going to go, even though I think the response is like mixed to positive with audiences, I think on Rotten Tomatoes it's probably like an 82%. How much? 80 what? Sorry, 82%. 82%? Also pretty close. 85%. You're only three off for that one. Good job. Because you were checking. So I was like, I'm, I guess I got the 80% right. I could yeah, I got the eight. It. I was like, did you say 82? Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah no. I didn't hear that super well yeah. on that. But yeah, 85%. 82%. Yeah. You're, you're on a roll so far, but mm. well, what about the cinema score? So you, you know, uh, you're in the right zone, but can you guess the cinema score? I'm going to say B+. Plus. Ah, spot on. I had a feeling you'd get that one perfect. Hmm. And uh, we'll finish with the letterboxed oh, rating. Boy. What do you think the average rating is on letterboxed? We have uh, 43,000 people have logged it. Uh, 3.4? 3.7. So, okay. you know, you're, you're in the right. Yeah, you're, you're, you're close enough. Close enough. Sure. Um, all right. That is Scream 2022. It's now playing in theaters and it's not very long. It's just uh, about 114 minutes, just under two hours. Uh, maybe a little long, depending on uh, how long you like your horror movies to be. I don't know, but I didn't feel it was long. I wasn't feeling I mean, like, ah, end already. They're all around the same length, right? None of them exceed two I think hours. So, yeah. Scream 2 is the longest. It's like two hours flat, I think. So that makes sense. Yeah. And I always feel like these movies, like, I, I, I always feel I feel after watching them they don't seem long to me like not that much stuff really happens it's kind of interesting that they're as long as they are because they're not like I don't know the pacing tends to be really good so. I oh well, I forgot to mention I think the pacing in the original films is a little bit better than this one or than, than this one I think the pacing in this one kind of goes back and forth but uh, it's not I could, you know I it doesn't see that I, it doesn't drag yeah. or anything but I, I, I'm not yeah, confident in how it. I feel about right. that sure alright alright then we have another film here The Tender Bar the bar that is tender tender yeah if you're a recess fan guess what this is the oh. movie for you maybe i don't know but what? uh yeah what yeah the tender you bar. Refer- the ten- what does that have to do with the show recess but that's what they say in the show Ooh, tender that- that's the whole thing did you okay. watch recess? i haven't watched i haven't watched recess in oh, has it been a few weeks since you last saw recess 18 years 18 uh, years you know can i talk about my relationship to the show recess it's kind of weird I'm curious now. Like about 18 uh, years, Will. I mean, that was. I did you even watch it? I watched a little bit of it. I didn't like obsessively watch it. But the weird thing is that I loved the movie Recess Schools Out. Oh, good movie. That was like that was like my favorite movie for like five or six years as a kid. That's amazing. But I didn't love the show. Is that weird? I don't know. I mean, you know, we're we're different. We're not a different generation, but I am a little I bit. Think- older i think that i was watching it when it was kind of in its prime and i was at the right age so i don't know maybe you just missed the boat i think for me it was because recess schools out is like an action movie it takes place in an elementary school and i saw it during my elementary years and i was like it would be like if die hard happened in like my school it's just like i this could happen like it's it's a movie yeah (laughs) i guess with recess though it's kind of funny because it was so well syndicated you know like I yeah. know plenty of people who even I watched saw it. it. Yeah, yeah. It, it, and like, I didn't it was have like, cable. You know, well into the 2000s, like if you were, you didn't even have to like be around like an elementary school when it was coming out, like I was. Right. I, feel, I feel like lots of people. But anyway, I obsessively watched it when I was a kid because it was a Saturday morning cartoon, man. That yeah, was my good jam show. was Recess. Yeah. Good show. Yeah, we talked about it on the playground. We play Foursquared. We re- do mean, all kinds of references, so... But uh, go back to Recess Schools Out. Uh, that soundtrack was very formative for me good. and my music tastes. Uh, I, I will remember. admit. Yeah, yeah. Schools was it? Uh, they did the one uh, dance in the street. First time I ever yes, heard that, that song was through the movie. 
Uh, all this, that soundtrack is a banger. Uh, like <laughs> there is, I don't, I mean, I might be misspeaking cause it's been a while since I've heard it, but like every song in that soundtrack slaps, like it's, it's a good soundtrack. I hope it's apparent our low opinion of the tender bar by how much we've gone on about recess school sound <laughs> <laughs> instead of talking about this new film directed by George Clooney called the tender bar based on J.R. Moringer's 2005 memoir. I don't know if I'm pronouncing his name right again, but you know, uh, so the tender bar, the novel, which you've read, which is great. We'll be able to pick your brain about that. Uh, and, memoir. um, I have the novel. I have the memoir. The memoir. Yeah. I have it on my desk. I haven't read much of it yet. just a little bit, but you know, it's, it's about J.R. Moringer. Who's this young guy, you know, grew mm-hmm. up, Obviously, would be uh, you know going to become a, a writer, but he grew up in the 1970s, 1980s. That's when the story yeah. of his movie takes place. Of course, uh, his life kind of grew up in Long Island, New York, right? And the film itself stars Ben Affleck. Really, is sort of like the main player here. He's kind of like the the beefed up supporting actor who's basically the lead. But we mainly follow the perspective of Jr.'s, you know. You know, as the character himself portrayed by two people, uh, Daniel Ranieri as a young boy and Ty Sheridan as a young man. And the film also stars Lily Rabe and Christopher Lloyd. And it's generally it's a coming of age kind of story. It's sort of about like what this kid went through, you know, how his father was like a, a real, you know, son of a you know what. And just uh, the, the trials, the tribulations, how he would go on to become a writer. It's an Amazon Studios film, big awards contender. It's a, a big showcase for Ben Affleck kind of just being like, I'm here, I'm, I'm making movies and then they're, you know, I'm, I'm still, I'm still doing stuff, you know, they're very different from his last dual performance to be sure. This is a yeah. pretty serious movie from George Clooney of a, of a piece with a couple others from him. Sure. But I think if I could just get this out of the way, this is a very yeah. weird movie because Why? essentially it's a movie about how this kid is supposed to be this amazing writer and everybody is moving heaven and hell and earth to make his writing career work. Do we ever get a sense of like his writing ever? Uh, like, I it's mean, weird. a little, little bit. Yeah, it's weird. I mean, and that's, I, I mean, I'll talk about this more in a little bit. Memoirs are really hard to adapt into features i've noticed in the past because i love memoirs i love what's a good example reading. though of one like what's one that's really good like a not the memoir example, itself, but the movie a good example of a good memoir a good example of a good memoir that got turned into a movie a, a good example of a movie based on a memoir that's actually pretty good uh well i have to think about that i'm trying to think what what memoirs have been made into movies because there aren't that many surprisingly um, yeah, because I just did a quick Google search and like uh, I don't like any of these movies. Some, some of them aren't memoirs there? or based on memoirs, okay. really. So uh, um, I, I'm seeing I'm seeing an education that, that was a good I, film. I didn't know that that was based on a memoir, but that actually makes yeah. sense if that's true. And it was adapted by a novelist, Nick Hornsby. Yeah, and so. I would say an education is a terrific film. That's um, a good film. Oh, yeah. Catch me if you can. That's based on a memoir, isn't it? What's it? Catch me if you can. I think so. Uh, walk yeah, the line. Yeah, uh, that's yeah. I, guess I think that's like... more of a biopic. Uh, I, I, right. That one's that one's a bit yeah. more. I don't know. Girl interrupted. I think that's a memoir, isn't it? Yeah, that's a memoir. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So there I've are heard, a few. There's some. I've heard Prozac Nation's pretty good. Actually, I've read the book. I never saw the movie for it, but I've heard that's pretty good. So maybe that one. Okay. Um, yeah, we we could find a few good ones, but yeah, to your point, sometimes it doesn't work out. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know, but like, yeah, uh, yeah. Keep going with your analysis of the film. <laughs> My analysis. I mean, I guess we have kind of set it up enough. Um, yeah, I, I did think it was kind of a blank page or like a blank spot with this movie where we just. I don't know if you're going to make a movie about a writer. It's it's hard to make becoming a writer 
visually or cinematically interesting, right? right. It's like, what are you going to do? You're going to show the person sort of like writing or typing mm-hmm. at a typewriter. I think right. that like movies that have done it successfully, uh, I don't know. I can't really think of them on the top of my head, I guess, but uh, you know what? Maybe I can. I mean, this isn't like a based on a memoir, but I liked that movie, The Man Who Invented Christmas. Uh, if there was one thing about that movie, that Charles Dickens movie, which is about how he wrote a Christmas carol, even though that movie's very like treacly, I do actually appreciate how it portrays the writing process and does it in a very clever, unique way. I'm um, not well, saying that this movie should have done what that movie did. I just think that's an example of showing Charles Dickens' process of writing um, a Christmas Carol is very boring. You know, like if you if you had to do it the most literal way, it's kind of a boring thing. But when you do it the way that that film did, you find way like you stretch beyond your limitations. I think this movie plays it super safe with that. It's just sort of is like scene here's a scene where he's trying to be a writer, here's a scene where he's facing some kind of obstacle, here's a scene that they spent a lot of time sort of like with the romance that he delves into and i don't know i just thought none of it really came together for me i think sometimes this movie is about young romance sometimes it's about the the mentors in your life sometimes it's not i mean i I don't know this movie was all over the place but uh what did you think yeah i was gonna say i thought of a good example of a good memoir that got turned into a film and a good film that is about the writing process okay and that is can you ever forgive me yes which is very good uh, yeah, because that's a film where it's like, if you take that premise, it's not very cinematic. It's not very visually interesting, but the way that they approach it, especially with the performances, I think that one works really well. And that's a good example of like a film that shouldn't be cinematic, but becomes cinematic. Um, but yeah, I mean, for this one, and I should be clear, I have read a decent chunk of the book, but I haven't read the whole thing, uh, just for transparency uh, here. But I will say that one thing I noticed while reading the book and watching the film is that the book is a lot thornier or there's more to dive into with these characters. There's more that's addressed, obviously, because it's longer. It's a book that I think ultimately is just sanded off in the interest of being more conventional with this film. I think the interest was to make the character seem more relatable or that his coming of age story could be something that like any Joe Schmo could like relate to. When I think that is the exact wrong approach for what this movie should be. I think it should be more idiosyncratic because that's what makes the story interesting. But more than anything, I think what makes the story interesting is how the writer writes it. And like you said, like when you actually are reading the book and you're seeing how well it's written, it's like, okay, you can understand why these characters are so passionate about making him get out of these like difficult circumstances and become, you know, a fairly high profile best-selling author. And, you know, visualizing that, like we said, it's not impossible there are examples there are very few but there are examples of movies about writing or memoirs that are turned into film that can be done in a very cinematically interesting way but it's a kind of uphill challenge i think george clooney he just favors a kind of banal mediocre execution and it really i think suffers in the long run for a lot of reasons because of that yeah this movie's pretty it's yeah it's like you said it's mediocre it's generic it just doesn't have a lot going on Honestly, it's just it's just one of those movies that like it's not offensively bad at anything. Like there's nothing in this movie where I'm just like, wow, you know, I I can't believe yeah. this movie failed at this and this and this. It doesn't I would I don't know. It's like yeah. it's not even trying that hard enough to fail at something. Right. I would actually go one step higher and say that I think the first half of this is actually kind of fun. Uh, I don't know if you agree, but like I, I think, think it has the first some half... fun moments, but I would not describe it overall fun. Not at least I think me. it's I think for me, it's just primarily Ben Affleck's performance. I think his performance is generally pretty charismatic yeah. and interesting. And it's not like it's not something he hasn't done per se. But I think, like you said, like 
this past year was kind of like Ben Affleck kind of finding his groove again in these supporting roles. And, uh, you know, last duel really let him like ham it up. He also wrote the script for that or co-wrote the script. Yeah. And that was like, you know, that kind of allowed him to do a very against type role. Same with Matt Damon, who also I wrote definitely, the script. Yes, I definitely agree. Yeah. As a supporting actor, I think Ben Affleck, he, he just, he just nails it. He knows how to, he knows how to be a good supporting actor. I think right. that. Even the even with his presence and his built-in charisma, which I agree, is good. I just don't think it's enough. Like for me, I think that this the whole movie is just so drab. Like there's just something very like it's like you said. I just think that Jr. is just not a very interesting character. He it's like they're trying to please everybody. At it, least it, in he's, here. Yeah. Where is the personality? I mean, where is right. this sort of like, there's no point in this movie where I'm surprised by anything happening with him. I just think he's a very reactionary, very reactive sort of character. Yeah. I've seen this Which kind is. of movie so many times with this kind of yeah. character. Yeah. It's just, what does this film bring to the table? Besides like, if you already know who J.R. Mm-hmm. Moringer is and you were just curious about a movie about his life, how many people are like that? I don't know. Right. Well, that reaction thing you're talking about, I think that's a common problem with memoirs, because obviously when you write a memoir and you transcribe your story, you're like the author is like allowing you to see their perspective and they're like you become the reaction to it. Like you, you become like the character almost basically when you read a memoir. And when you do that in audio visual form, like a movie, you, you kind of they, they sap all that away so that the, more often than not, the protagonist in a memoir adaptation becomes, like you said, kind of bland and just, they, they, they lose a lot of that personality that is in the text at least and uh i think that's very very starkly seen in this film for sure yeah i guess i guess that's uh why can you ever forgive me another great comparison point there is one of the reasons that i don't have the same impression of that film is because i think that main character is fascinating because she's not they're not trying to make her overly relatable or anything yeah she's a very prickly kind of hard to sympathize with character or not hard to sympathize hard to relate to or at least you can sympathize with her but she there's a lot of complexity there that is very like there's even more complexity in the film than there is in the book i would say arguably but then in that case maybe i haven't read the i haven't read the book but i would say you know this one's not a memoir but the lost daughter you know as a novel is also you know kind of succeeding at that sort of thing it's also sort of being like hey our main character doesn't have to be you know a a very it doesn't have to be an audience surrogate and i think in both those cases like the supporting actors do a lot to sort of like add a lot of the warmth that the main character isn't bringing and so i think that's why the films like that could be a little bit more successful than this this one it's just like you know even the ending i'm not going to say anything specific but the ending is supposed to it's supposed to finish on this note of like feel good, you know, this moment of like, yes, you know, but I was like, this isn't really earned. Is this really what the character wanted all along? I I guess like in a very superficial way, but I I just don't think that the, the symbolism or the subtext of this movie really clicked with any of that stuff. And it just sort Mm. of ended. I was like, Oh, is is this how the memoir ends? I guess you don't know because you said you didn't finish it, but I'm like, right. okay. Uh, yeah. What about the most interesting? Like, is this really the most interesting? Like, movies are supposed to be about the most interesting ten minutes of a character's life, and I sure. just didn't get that from this. Or the the most interesting week, I guess I should say. Mm-hmm. This movie sort of charting what it seems to me is the most is the least interesting like time yeah. in this kid's life. I feel like everything after this is going to be way more exciting, considering. Right. But I don't know. 
Yeah, I mean, I think one of the biggest issues here is, uh, and I like the actor. I think I like him more than you do based on our conversation privately about the card counter. Um, but Ty Sheridan, I think he's a pretty good actor. I don't think he's very good in this, unfortunately. I don't think it's his fault. I think it's just that, like we said before, there's just not a lot to do with Jr. the character in this film. Uh, and I, I think he tries, but he's just overshadowed constantly by Ben Affleck. Uh, in this film and the other thing is that like a large chunk of this movie is like this relationship with this girl i think her name's jessica if i'm not mistaken like his like i i I, it's 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 not even been that long since i saw it i totally forgot but yeah like his main that's like a big thing and it's like i just genuinely don't get like why is this such a big like why does he care about about so much about this lady it's because like it's his first major love it's just like you can do that because like that is a totally normal thing right like that is a total like for you yeah. to get really hung up on your first love. But sure. What's weird about that is the movie even sort of presents that like he knew that uh, this wasn't going to be his forever right. romance. Like that's how that relationship kind of starts. So it's just weird because then it right. It's like yeah. he didn't really believe that. I guess right. It, it's I weird, don't know. It's kind of like, contradictory. Yeah. Because they had like this very hot and cold relationship where like it's just, like yeah I guess this isn't gonna really be more than a fling right and she's like yeah I guess so and he's like what. It's like he's he's like freaking out, like yeah. even though like he's acknowledging, like yeah, you know, like I I just I don't know, I, I imagine you already got like a boyfriend. I was like, yeah, he was like, what? And it's just like he just keeps like on a dime flipping out for like it seems very abrupt every time it happens. And it's like, have you not learned? Like what 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 is going on here? It's a very confusing. Uh, I I had to blame that I guess on either George Clooney or the screenwriting by um didn't William Mohan uh write the screenplay here? The guy did The Departed. Yes, William uh, Monahan. Yeah. Yeah. Monahan, yes. Who uh, did, uh, who, yeah, yeah, you're right. The Departed and yeah. um, Body of Lies and Edge of yeah, Darkness. Uh, I think his most recent was um, uh, Mojave. But Mojave, he, directed yeah, he directed that, that one. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He like he was Another like Oscar out Isaac of the game movie. for a while. Yeah, but he was out of the game for a while. Like I think he had like a motorcycle accident or something. He was like, I think I'm done with the business. So I was really <laughs> surprised to see him here. And I was uh, disappointed that I, I don't think it's like a terrible script. Like there's a couple witty moments. Like I think the dialogue kind of crackles in that way that, you know, typically in like a George Clooney movie, it, it, it you he likes that sort of like kind of like back and forth stuff that comes about occasionally. But like, I just don't like th- like for a comeback movie. This seems like a really weird project for him, at least, at least in my opinion. I, I would agree with that. But I also have to say this movie's sense of place is really off to me. I think that, uh, so George Clooney, we already mentioned directs and I think a, a lot of it falls on his shoulders, but also Martin Rue's uh, cinematography here. It's not bad or anything. I just think that I like the cinematography. I, what, what I dislike about it is that to me, I never really understood where we were. I like, okay. I am like, okay, it's long Island. They're saying long Island, but like, I, this did not feel like long Island. Like I, I, I to me, this felt like a weird hybrid of like Pennsylvania and Massachusetts. Right. I think it was even filmed in Massachusetts. Midtown I, I, I USA. Honestly, I, I just, yeah. I was like, this, this feels like a composite location. It just right. didn't have that sort of like local touch that really like, this is being made by somebody who really loves this area. And we've seen plenty of, we've or, seen Long Island, yeah. you know, in plenty of films. Yeah. Well, that's the other thing too, right? Is that like, I mean, if I recall correctly, George Clooney is like born and raised in California, right? Because his dad is like a fairly famous actor. Yes, uh, and, and Ben Affleck is a is a mass. I was going to say a bad word, ooh, but. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. but anyway, but I was going to say uh, the screenwriter is like British, right? Like, I think he's a a Brit. Uh, yeah. 
So like no one like no one really has that connection to the time and place as far as I can or maybe the time but not the place. So it's um, all kind of like he's not sorry like, he's not British. William Monahan is uh, from Boston. Uh, was oh, really? born in Boston, Massachusetts. Yeah. Yeah. So, but this is uh oh well that's even more confusing then because it's like this isn't Boston but it's like close to it. So and they I and mean, they filmed it in Boston. They filmed it near Boston in Lowell, yeah. uh, not far from where I grew up or grew up where I was born really. Right. And yeah, uh, yeah it's, I don't know. Like when I was watching this movie, I was just like, "This, no, no, no." It's like I just don't buy the location. I, I don't know. It, it, I think that's an important thing if you're going to do a period piece about somebody's life and all those personal touches. You really need that. Like I don't know. Maybe that could have been the energy this film needed to sort of like punch above its weight and not be so instantly forgettable. At least for me. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think that kind of goes back to what I was saying before. I think what makes a story interesting or at least worthwhile is that, that, uh, you know, that, that sense from the writer, that's like his story. It's that personal touch, that sincerity, that like urgency that he brings to it as a writer that, that makes it like, okay, like that's why I'm engaged with this on a personal level. And everyone else is just kind of doing like this weird reflexive, uh, like traditional coming of age, template and it just seems like they're just not it just doesn't work for this story it's us like if, if the story was interesting enough for that wasn't a problem i think that'd be a one thing but you really gotta like earn the right like i said in my review to tell the story and i just don't think the filmmakers are really that interested in earning that right so therefore the movie doesn't really warrant or hold your attention for more than diverting moments Agreed. I noticed there were a bunch of places too where like they were trying to use the needle drops to sort of as like band band-aids almost to be like, oh, don't forget, you know, don't forget that this is what's going on in this scene. Like really holding your hand with certain things. It's it's a bit sure. over a, a bit excessive, I thought. Yeah. Good songs. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But you know, um, right. It's like, oh, okay, you're gonna do that thing. I do I do agree. I think what we definitely agree is that Ben Affleck is uh certainly far, far, far from you know, anything in this movie that doesn't work. I think that he has like the only dialogue I found memorable at all is from him. I think the conversation he has about, you're not good at sports kid, like stuff like that. I was just like, ah, oh, <laughs> that's fine. Right. You I know, mean, I, yeah. I would have loved, sorry. I would have loved if he had just been like, he may have been your father, but he wasn't your daddy. You know, like if he had done that, that'd right. be great. Yeah. I mean, like going back uh, and I guess to clarify, I mean, I do think his connection to Massachusetts here, you know, I, I think that's probably where this movie gets most of its heart. If it has any heart, you know, like having that kind of like, you know, he's not back home per se, but he's like kind of close to it by Hollywood perspective. So, I mean, I could see why he was interested in doing this. And certainly like, like the, con- the trajectory of his career is like, you know, I think he's kind of finding like a comfortable groove right now. And I'm really happy for him in that respect. Um, but yeah, I mean, it just seems like he's the only one that's really kind of pushing us forward in any entertaining or meaningful way. And everyone else just seems to be kind of just like doing their own thing. And, uh, I don't, I don't hate George Clooney, a director as much as some people do, but I do think he's kind of been on this like track of making just consistently pretty mediocre movies for, uh, now I guess like a decade. Cause I mean, I liked Ides of March, didn't like the Monuments Men, didn't like um, Suburbicon, didn't really care for the Midnight Sky. And then this one, like I was hoping it would be a little bit better, but it seems to be falling in track with those just kind of like visually competent, but just narratively unsatisfying films from, you know, I just don't quite get what he wants out of directing at this point, though. I think you watched Catch-22, which I didn't see. Like, maybe that was a little bit better. Yeah, I'd say that's one of the better things he's made. Uh, so I do have to fact check you on something. I was waiting, sorry. But uh, uh, when you said that about George please. Clooney growing up in California, I was a little bit skeptical. I wasn't sure if that was the okay. case. Please, he was actually, correct me. Yeah, please. He's yeah. from Kentucky. 
Uh, so I looked it oh. up. Nick Clooney, not not a Hollywood guy. He was uh, but close. He was he was a journalist, right, um, also right. a television host, like for game shows yeah. and stuff like that. And he also is like from Kentucky. To your credit, though, like I'd say George Clooney, you know, he's lived uh, I in mean, California yeah. for like decades and decades, uh, you know. So I mean, to tie that to George Clooney, though, like his first two films, like clearly, like that's you know yes. reverent to his father. Like obviously Especially all the political stuff. His, yeah, his father yeah. ran for office uh, for Congress. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's like, yeah, like, I mean, that's for I to March, I think. So the three yeah. films of his, I think, are good, or at least I like, send to have like something from his childhood or something for this father that feels meaningful. And this is a movie trying to be about like relatable to like one's father and one thing. It just feels like George Clooney, outside of maybe a couple mild things, just doesn't have anything that he can really grab onto here. Uh, from his own personal life. And I think that's probably one of the key reasons why this movie just doesn't really work. Now, Clooney was brought on to direct this. This was not a film that Clooney was like, I want to do this. Uh, Sony's been trying to make, was originally the ones trying to, they were trying to do this years and years ago. That said, uh, here's the director who I think could have absolutely done an incredible job at this movie. I don't know if you'll agree. I really wish Richard Linklater had made this movie. I think I that, that he he could have found, I think, that balance because yeah, I think I think if you're gonna have that sort of if there's anybody who's really good at that sort of like adult to the next generation kind of coming of age sort of you know, mood and atmosphere, I think Linklater has proven time and again that he just knows how to do that in a very like mm-hmm. You know, in his sense, it could have been a lighthearted movie or it could have been sort of, you know, the same kind of um, genre that this is where it's like kind of a like lighthearted drama. You know what I mean? But I think Linklater is pretty good at just finding that balance, you know, bringing bringing something that can have that sort of emotion, you know, that really makes it feel something a sense of like America. You know what I mean? Uh, but uh, yeah, I, just, I didn't get that from the tender bar. So I'm not a fan. Uh, yeah, I mean, I would agree with that. I was trying to think of another example, but I mean, I would just probably say, you know, I don't know the, who, who directed, uh, can you ever forgive me? Uh, what's her name? Um, Marielle Heller. Probably her. I mean, that'd be my pick, I guess. I mean, she did a pretty good job with yeah. the, the Mr. Rogers movie. So I, yeah. I would say like, give her better uh, projects than this, honestly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, that's another, uh, I mean, that, that was a memoir, but that was an autobiographical article. So I mean, right, she, yeah. she seems to be pretty good at these autobiographical things. So. Right, Diary of a Teenage uh, Girl. She also, yeah, I think exactly. Yeah, she made she. I think that movie would have failed under most directors, but I think she's yeah. she's also extremely talented um, in that regard. Yeah, sure. But um, I got a couple other memoirs turned to films that I think are pretty good films. All right, let's mediocre. hear. This will be way more uh, interesting October, than talking more about this movie. <laughs> here, October Sky. I think that's a quite a good nice. film. Yes, yes, I like that uh, film. Jake Gyllenhaal, right? Yeah, 127 hours. Good film. Yeah, I guess that is technically, huh? Yeah, okay. Um, Wild. Uh, Wild, I think yeah. closer. I think is easier to compare because that's more of like a a life. You know what I mean? Right. And yeah, I mean for sure. And uh, the diving bell and the butterfly. Wait, what is it called? The diving bell and the butterfly. Have you never uh, seen I didn't that, know that one? movie? Oh, really? That that was nominated for like best director and stuff. Uh, really, Can you really see good. The title film. one more time. I can't hear you. Super. Oh, what? what? The butterfly. The diving. The diving bell and the butterfly. The diving bell and the butterfly. No, I haven't heard of this one. Oh, wow. It's from 2007. Great film uh, and a really, really great adaptation of a really hard to adapt memoir. So. All right. Uh, 2007 yeah. was, uh, I mean, a lot of great films yeah. that year. So. And um, oh, I got one more. Uh, Persopolis. Have you ever seen Persopolis? That's actually an interesting one because it's the author adapting her own memoir. Um, yeah. Yeah. I haven't seen that film, but I, I'm aware yeah. of it. Sure. But that's but, um, also 2007, isn't it? Yeah, in that case, another example of a—it's not technically an autobiograph- autobi- autobiography, but um, 
Perks Being a Wildflower is another example of the author adapting their own book that has like clear yeah, draws yeah. in their life. And like, that's not like his life was like super fascinating or anything, but I think that movie works. And yeah, I think that movie works. The only thing about that movie is like just some of the cast, you know, like not the sure. main characters, but some of the background characters. I just don't buy a lot of the, ac- the extras. That's who I'm referring to, particularly in the high school, oh. you know, the, <laughs> sorry. Uh, that's uh, um, for listeners who don't know, Will Ashton was an extra in Perks Being a Wildflower, yeah. particularly in the high school. Yeah. But I mean, like there are obviously other examples of um, memoirs recently that didn't quite work. Uh, for instance, The Glass Castle. Uh, let me see what it was. Another one that wasn't quite great. Um, Eat, Pray, Love was another example. But that's like a decade ago now or whatever. Oh, uh, that's funny. Um, I actually I actually reference Eat, Pray, Love in uh, that video I'm working on. Um, oh, really? Um, <laughs> but the one I think I've, I've heard a couple of comparisons to this book and this film with this one, I, I think it's only because of recency bias, but Hillbilly Elegy is the one that I keep hearing compared to this film. Uh, I don't think their stories are that similar, but I can see why people, because they're fairly recent films from one another, are comparing the two. Yeah. But I, I think this one's maybe a little bit better than Hillbilly Elegy, but where you stand? Well, I never saw Hillbilly Elegy, so I don't know. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> why <that>. would I? <laughs> like, I don't have an interest, yeah. honestly. And apparently, yeah, that author, J.D. Vance, uh, I'm just not a fan of him in general, so uh, sure, why, yeah. I'm a bit closed-minded. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah, I'm just not, probably never going to get to that one, but. Sure. And I imagine most people aren't going to get around to the tender bar. Probably not. Now available uh, <laughs> on Amazon Prime. And we spent half an hour talking about it or whatever. So. I'm surprised. Uh, but yeah. I guess that's a good. Yeah. Let's just do the Rotten Tomatoes game because I got nothing else. Um, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, 155 reviews have been counted. That's way more than I was expecting. Um, what do you think? It's the tomato Prime. meter? Yeah, that's true. But I didn't think critics were that interested. I mean, you know what? To yeah. be fair, it is an awards screener kind of thing. So I could see that. But uh, yeah. What do you think the uh, uh, Rotten Tomatoes scores right now? Was my review in there? I think it is. Oh. Yeah, you reviewed it for theyoungfolks.com. Definitely check it out. Yeah. Uh, is your review in there? I did not do a review, so mm. it is not. Uh, this is tricky, because I could see... I don't think people are going to be like super favorable, but I could see some folks being like, yeah, three out of five, and then that, that like pushes it to like uh, like 70% or something. But my gut is saying low, and I'm going to say 42%. You're 10 off. Do you Ooh, think 50. that that means it's 32% or 52%? I'm going to say 52%. Good call. Yeah, 52%. Got you out. Okay. Redemption. <laughs> so critics yeah, are split. They're like... Critics are split. Yeah, right down the middle. What can um, we make of this JR guy? I, I don't know. know. I don't know. Uh, what about audience score? We have 250 plus ratings. Yeah. Uh, oh, I forgot to mention that like... Uh, there's a big point in the book and the movie where it's like JR is not like J dot R dot. It's like his means junior, but like it's not like he's not taking his dad's name. So it's just supposed to be JR. But like in the credits at the end, they just call him J dot R dot. Yeah, it's like interchangeable. So, I think in when I edited your review, I just did it. I think I took the I put the periods in maybe. I don't remember. But oh, did you? I think oh. I think I just went by either IMDb or Wikipedia or whatever. Apparently his style, he prefers uh no dots or no periods, but I just found it funny that like they make a big point of that in the movie and then like in the credits, they credit him as JR. <laughs> yeah, this is oh, a whatever. weird movie where everybody's just like, what does JR mean? Like, who does that? Uh, yeah, okay. uh, yeah, like everyone's like so obsessed with it. What is up with that? Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, like, um, first question, how are you? Second question, what's up with your name? <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, but okay, audience score, where are we at? Um, 68 percent, 
72%. So you're okay. a little bit closer that time, four off. But yeah, yeah, audiences like it. You know, the ones who are checking it out are probably like, I don't get what everybody's so negative. I don't know. 72 I is mean, not that great, but. Yeah, that's that's on Prime. Probably they tune in for the Ben Affleck parts. Anytime Ty Sheridan right. is by himself, they, you know, is there more beer in the fridge? Let me go check. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what about ratings? We have 13,000 people have logged it on Letterboxd. That's not a lot. Um, I will say this is a pretty good drinking movie. Uh, I forgot to mention that earlier. Uh, this is Letterboxd. Oh, 2.8? 3.0. Hey, that was your closest. Oh. So mm. clearly you're more in tune with the letterboxed audience. I don't know. But uh, hopefully that'll give you a pretty good impression of where the tender bar is at. It's, it's really kind of like the movie itself. The ratings are all over the place. But if you want to check it out, you can stream it right now on Amazon Studios. I think it was in limited release in December. I don't think it still is at this point. It is 104 minutes long. It's not that long. You can, you can knock it out. It's less than two hours. So uh, check it out if you're interested. And with that, that's our show. We're done. Uh, we will be back wow. next week. We have a couple of films that we want to review. We have a bonus we want to review. We don't want to, not going to promise anything. We got There are a couple of like smaller movies that we want to get to. Uh, obviously, Scream was like the big one. And we're not sure if we're going to get to some other films that are going to be, we have Sundance coming up. That's yeah, the thing. Yeah, I was going to say. Yeah, yeah, we got Sundance. So that's going to be taking up a lot of our time. Yes. So we might just do something that we've uh, seen already and just talk about yeah. that instead, which would be our- fun. Yeah, yeah, our current plan is to not do a big Sundance thing until after the festival. And for those who don't know, the festival starts on January 21st, which is less than a week from now. That's uh, We're going to get in full swing of Sundance next weekend. So, yeah, we're looking at maybe doing we could record early, for example, talk about a couple of films that we already saw that we never reviewed on the show that are still semi recent that might still be in limited release. So you might find that interesting. And then we're, our current plan, which is always subject to change, is to then a week later, like once some once Sundance ends, that next week we'll do a whole Sundance episode for you all. Give you give you all the ins and outs of what we saw. I think between the two of us, we're we're going to be able to see at least twenty five films each, uh, based on how many uh, tickets they allotted for each of us as press. But then we're hoping to do even more with screeners. But we don't know for sure yet. But I think it's going to be an exciting festival. I'm I'm really looking forward to this year. Oh yeah, I mean there's some good looking stuff and i yeah. i mean i mean i'm always happy i mean always i've, I've only done this once other, other before this time but i i like uh i like not knowing how i'm gonna feel about these movies i'm gonna go in cold for all of them yeah and hopefully i like more than a few i mean i like quite a few last time so it's we'll see. a sophomore year your second sundance i'm i'm yeah. the uh the, the grizzled senior you know but uh i'll, Me, I'll show you the ropes kid i'll keep yeah. the, i'll keep the bullies off your back me at my second rodeo this ain't my first rodeo <laughs> yeah all right we're gonna we're gonna sign off from there from the internet california i'm john negroni and for the internet pennsylvania i'm washington see you next time